Welcome to If Not Us. I'm your host, Sarah Ackerman. To kick off our series on uniquely American problems, I sat down with Laura Hartley, founder and CEO of Public Love Enterprises based in Sydney, Australia. Laura is an expert on burnout and hustle culture and works with clients all over the globe and has confirmed the good old USA is number one. She's worked to dismantle and identify internal and external factors that lead to the wild levels of burnout that we're seeing today. We talk about internalized capitalism, the lack of safety nets, and what we can do to take a step back and get off the hamster wheel. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Laura. I am so excited to get to talk to you about all things burnout and hustle culture and everything in between. So first of all, how would you define burnout? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I think burnout is such a ubiquitous term now. You kind of see it everywhere. And I think actually understanding what it is is important. You know, burnout is the result of chronic stress. It's not something that's happening because of a bad day or a bad couple of weeks. It's really the result of prolonged stress over a very long period of time. And, you know, it kind of shows up differently for different people. For some people, it's that sense of apathy, that sense of disillusionment, and, you know, the very uh, anxiety, this real emotional response that they're having. For other people, it's very physical. They've got back pain, jaw pain, you know, that they've got headaches happening. So there's this real response in our body and it's a real physical reaction that's actually happening in our nervous system. But understanding that, you know, burnout is something that's happened because we have ignored these signs for a long time, because we've been stressed for a long time and sometimes haven't even noticed how stressed we are is an important step to starting to address it. Oh, interesting. So this seems like kind of an obvious question, but what causes burnout in the workplace? I actually don't think this is an obvious question. You know, I think the way that we often frame burnout is as if it's an individual problem. You know, we kind of frame it as like, oh, you know, if you just meditate a little bit more, if you like have this gratitude practice, like have you tried like exercising a little bit more and like getting a bit more sleep? And somehow you're supposed to like do all of this while doing the exact same amount of work that you're currently doing and showing up for your social life in the same way and showing up for your causes and your activism in the same way. And it's not really sustainable. And so when we're looking at the causes of burnout, I really believe it actually isn't so much in us as a resiliency deficit of some sort, and rather it's in the culture and the environments that we work in. So with changemakers, there are three main causes that I look at, you know, and obviously everybody's different and there are others, but these are the main ones. And the first is internalized capitalism or hustle culture. You know, it's this way that we feel that we're always supposed to be doing more, that we're just never done enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough resources. And we, you know, we equate our value with our productivity or our value or our worth with what we produce. And this is so common everywhere. You know, we feel like we're always supposed to be giving and doing more. So like that's a major one that keeps us in that cycle of overwork and keeps us in that cycle of stress. But there's also the emotional toll of the work that we do. You know, you see this in healthcare, you see this in activism, you see it in a few different fields that, you know, this work is sometimes heavy. You know, it comes with not only the awareness, but the participate or the experience of injustice. You know, you're seeing it firsthand. And there's also sometimes whether we're actually doing what's right for us. You know, a lot of us are doing work that we think we're supposed to do, that we're doing it because it means to be a good daughter, to be a good person, to be a good activist, to be a good worker, whatever it might be, I should do X, Y, or Z, but none of that lights us up and all of that is draining us of energy. 
So there's lots of different causes, but I still see all of them still linked in how we're working and how we're coming together. Oh, of course. Like the internalized capitalism, it's very real. And even just looking at like, I don't want to say friends of a certain age, but there is a, a, I don't have a lot of friends, I think, that just have hobbies, like just things that they purely do for enjoyment and their own satisfaction. But anytime you start something, it immediately turns into, oh, you could sell that. And it takes away all the fun, all the joy, all of a sudden it's another job. And it's like you said, like now that's all of a sudden like another tax on everything else that you've already got on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we were like, oh, you know, I love that thing. I should make it a side hustle. And again, that makes sense in the culture that we live in where actually, you know, we're not often supported financially or with a sense of security or a sense of community. And so, of course, we're always looking to, one, provide that sense of safety and two, to also provide that sense of success because we kind of culturally see success as, you know, people who are really busy and they're doing a lot and look at this thing that they started and look how proactive they are. And we don't put much value on rest, on stillness, on play, on pleasure, and these things which actually nourish us in return. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What motivated you to like move in your work into the burnout space? Because clearly there's a need. There is, you know, and I think it, in some sense it started with my own experience of burnout you know, burnout happens in cycles. It's not a one-time thing. What happens is, you know, you tend to feel a little bit burnt out and then you're like, oh, you know what? I'll take a vacation. I'll take some time off. And like, I'll feel better in two weeks. And you do because you did something different. But then you go back, you start doing the same thing. And before long, you're kind of just further along in the spectrum of burnout and in another cycle. And this was me for a number of years. You know, about six, seven years ago now was my worst burnout cycle. I had newly moved back to Australia from overseas. I didn't have a big support network here. I had a lot of emotional stress in my life. My sister was very unwell and so uh, caring for her and for my mother. And then, you know, I was also in this kind of toxic job that really expected you to like work at 10 p.m. at night and, you know, to always be available. And I knew that this was a stressful time, right? So I knew that you know, I needed to support myself. And I did everything that I was supposed to. You know, I had a regular meditation practice. I lived near the beach, so I went swimming every day. I went dancing a couple of times a week, and dancing was one of the things that really got me through. Like, I went to yoga. I, I did everything that I could to support myself. And I still found myself at a point after a few months of feeling uh, full of anxiety, full of stress, that I couldn't wind down at night. I couldn't sleep. I had insomnia. I just felt this, this, I was like, I was on the edge of something. And I remember leaving work one day and I was still so filled with stress. It actually had a panic attack. And, you know, for anybody who's had them, like, you know, you know how awful they are, how out of control you feel. Mm -hmm. And that was the day I was like, oh, okay, something needs to change. This is not sustainable. I went in the next day, I quit that job, great decision. I moved neighborhoods, I found you know better friends, I got involved in causes and movements that were really meaningful to me. And I thought I had done it. You know, I thought that I had moved past that cycle. And you know, I just needed to change my life and change the outside and that would be fine. But before long, I noticed that I was still working at 10 p.m. at night, just this time not for a toxic boss, but because I was part of this climate movement that I loved, you know, and that I was so passionate about. You know, I noticed that I was 
still starting to experience some conflict or some tension again because I always felt, you know, when I was with friends or family that I was supposed to be working. I have so much to do. I have so much happening. You know, I just couldn't wind down. And that was when I started to really look within and be like, you know what, this is not sustainable. I don't think I'm helping the world if I'm constantly burnt out and stressed. And then looking around me in activist movements and seeing the amount of burnout that there is, that very often within a year of entering some of these movements, people are burnt out and exhausted. I was like, this is, there's something wrong here. You know, we need to look at what the causes are and how do we start to change this? And that's what led me to the work today. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like, it's not a surprise that a lot of burnout lives in like activist and cause-based culture. Because if we're not the ones doing the work, like no one else will. And so, of course, you need to stay up until midnight sending emails. Of course, you need to be like going the extra mile because it's not, uh, it almost feels like the burn, it's not burnout. I'm being like altruistic with my time. But to your point, you're not presenting the best version of yourself if you're sleep deprived and grumpy and not taking care of yourself and not socializing or seeing your friends and family or pursuing things that you enjoy outside of like making the world a better place. Yeah, nor am I my most creative. You know, I don't have the creativity or the imagination or the strategy to really be coming up with actually something new here. It is this idea that there is scarcity in our resources, particularly in activist movements that keep us in this cycle. And we sometimes need to question whether that is true. And even if it is true, does that mean that I need to do this? And also, where do I have stories that it's true? And maybe it's not. And maybe I'm just caught in this cycle. Yeah. So I take it that all of this drove you to found uh, public love enterprises. So what is something like, what are the things that you do in your day to day now to combat burnout as an organization? Uh, look, as an organization, you know, you know, I am a, I'm a one man show. So it's me, myself and I. So I'll talk about on a personal level and then the work that I teach others. Yeah. So on a personal level, you know, it's really about coming back to my body and listening to my body and following its guidance. Our mind and our thoughts and our beliefs will tell us lots of stories about all these things that we have to do. And a lot of the time, they're completely overriding our actual energy levels, our actual sense of motivation, what is true for us, what feels good. So returning to my body in that sense is a really important thing. And to give you an example, I I volunteered to help a, a friend a little while ago with some just leafletting in the neighborhood about this new movement that was starting. And I was like, you know what? I haven't done anything for a while. I'd really like to help out. Great. And I was like, sure, I can like do some like go on a walk, put some like flyers in in letterboxes. But before I knew it, it wasn't really what I thought it was that I signed up for. It was like this thing with like four hour shifts and a buddy system and a roster and you had to turn up at a certain time. And I was just like, oh my God, no. No. Yeah. (laughs) And so my mind was like, oh, look, Laura, you signed up for this thing. Just honor it. Just show up. Do it once. Okay. You said you would help. You want to do something. But my body was just like heavy and it was closed and my shoulders were so tight and it was like, oh, hell no. Like this is, you do not have capacity for this. Yeah. And so taking note of that, like listening to my body and then actually respectfully saying like, I'm so sorry. I, this isn't what I thought I signed up for. I don't have capacity for this right now. Uh, Happily recommend it and share it to some people who might, but I can't help at the moment is one way that I was able to set my boundaries and follow my body, even though I felt like I was supposed to, even though I felt like, oh no, to be a good, good activist, be a good friend, just do it. The guilt, the guilt of not yes. 
the guilt of saying no is prevalent anytime it's just like this isn't but they need me but i said oh man so that's wonderful that you were able to like take a step back and say like uh no not for me not what i need not just because like mentally you're like this is not what i anticipated but to feel that um, and I'm sure we've all felt that way before of you show up to a thing and you're like, I thought this was something totally different and I'm not energetically prepared for this. Exactly. And so understanding that like, you know, the self-care work isn't the pretty work. It's not the like, oh, you know, I'm going to like take a bubble bath and go to yoga and like feel really good. It's actually the really kind of messy work of saying no when you feel bad to say no. It's setting those boundaries. It's taking time for yourself. And so as an individual, I'm able to, to look at this and to take care of myself. You know, in collective spaces, you know, whether that's in movement spaces, whether it's in organizations, I certainly help clients with this, but also my own experience in change maker circles. You know, there is a deeper work of looking at how we come together and how we value our relationships to each other and, you know, how we're choosing to work together. What are we putting our, our value on? Is it our output? Is it our productivity? Is that what we mean to each other? Or is it that actually our relationships and who we are, that's important. And that's a really subtle shift that I'm talking about here, but it really creates the difference in energy and intention that we need to change how we're working and how we're coming together. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, so as someone with international reach and you've worked with folks all over the globe, uh, what sort of trends have you been noticing over the past few years? Internalized capitalism is global. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's really interesting. We live in, you know, an increasingly globalized and an increasingly connected and very homogenized world. You know, we all have differences in our cultures. There, is, there are differences between the US and Australia, between the UK, but we're also all English-speaking countries. We're all living in capitalist societies. We're all born out of a similar kind of past. And this influences, you know, the structures and the experiences that we're seeing today. And I've seen this obviously not just in these three countries, but elsewhere too. Now, again, some countries I found clients in Portugal and other places in the more Mediterranean, a little less of their hustle culture. That's wonderful. Australia, in some sense, you know, we have this lovely persona of being a laid back nation and super relaxed. And partly true in some places. And we also have the same experience here of hustle culture and internalized capitalism. So I think, you know, when we're looking at burnout, we're seeing a lot of the same conditions. We're seeing that same drive within us that tells us that we always need to be doing more, that we're not enough as it is, that there's not enough time and there's not enough resources. It's a global experience. We're seeing the same increasing fears around climate change, around uh, global food supplies, around inflation. You know, a lot of us are experiencing those same collective struggles. And I think as well, we're all human. You know, we're all facing those same desires, those same fears, those same joys. And this has, you know, it's a very universal experience that we're looking at here as this point of exhaustion that we're reaching. Now, I do think it's partly, I, I like to say there's more than one way to be human. And, you know, when I am talking about the world here, I am talking very much about, um, you know, the global north. I'm talking about Europe mostly. I'm talking about the US, Canada, Australia, in these countries. And there are other cultures that don't have these systems embedded into them quite as much. But it is definitely something that I'm seeing increasing in the world today. That's not something that we would like to spread. It would be great if that wasn't. The, I wish that that wasn't the case. That's a. That's a. It's understandable. Uh, 
but it's also hard to hear to see that like more people are going to be subjected to this uh never turning yourself off kind of lifestyle yeah absolutely and here's the thing I think it's an inner thing as much as it is an outer thing you know some countries have the lack of structural supports uh the U.S. is one example that it doesn't have a lot of annual leave it doesn't have a lot of like uh paid medical leave or you know free health care or you know a strong minimum wage these are external systems which can support us you know, enable us to really take a step back and be like, hey, you know what, I need to take some time out, reevaluate what's important to me. And even in countries that have those systems, burnout is still a thing. You still feel like you're always supposed to be doing more. And that's a cultural issue. That's a mindset issue. That is a belief issue that we have internalized from the world around us that says to be valued, to be important, to be loved, I need to be doing X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's easier to break out of, I think, when you have the external support. And it's not dependent on that as well. Right. So I know you've talked about the, like, you've seen it in a lot of different countries and whatnot, but uh, is there anything that makes the U.S., since the the theme of this uh, first season of If Not Us, uh, our first season back, is, like, uniquely American problems, is there something that you see specific to the U.S. in this space? You know, I think when I'm, when I'm looking at the U.S., I, I see kind of what I was just talking about, you know, that lack of structural support. You know, you don't have paid time off in many cases, you know, not all, but as a standard, you don't have uh, free healthcare that's not tied to employment. So, of course, you're more inclined to feel have to continually be going in into circumstances that maybe aren't right for you. And that's the issue that I see kind of with the US. So the external support that could help people to take a step back and reevaluate what is important to them isn't there. And, you know, it's also kind of the home of like peak capitalism and, you know, the great American dream and the great stories of, you know, anybody can be a success, that beautiful myth of the meritocracy that, again, my country and many others carry as well. But, you know, it is a different environment. So I think understanding that, that there are those cultural stories there that really prize wealth and, you know, wealth just being the accumulation of resources that really prize success and anybody can achieve this. So, you know, there's very little awareness of systemic reality. You know, it's a very hyper-individualized culture, as many of our countries are increasingly becoming. It's difficult then to be like, oh, well, actually, you know what, burnout isn't a result of my personal failing in wellness because I didn't take care of myself enough. It's because I live in a culture that didn't allow me to take care of myself. It's because I exist in microcultures, in my organizations, in my communities, in my movement spaces, in my families that prioritize us doing things and collecting things over actually sitting and being with what we're experiencing. You know, when we're looking again, you know, I wouldn't say this is a uniquely U.S. problem, but every country has their own different experiences of also emotional grief and collective grief. You know, my country, Australia, certainly has theirs, and that's rooted in our history of how we were born out of colonization and how we see that manifesting today. But there's also collective grief in the U.S. You know, you'll see it in the history of slavery. You'll see it in the recent numbers of COVID deaths. And these are things that when we're not able to acknowledge as a collective, and I, I like to really acknowledge that I don't think my country is there yet either when I'm talking about this, Australia is not doing this then it's very difficult to heal these parts. You know, we will end up in dysfunctional patterns that act as band-aids to just get us through, just get us to the next thing, just get our economy growing again, you know, just get us back on track. And that is, it's kind of an illusion. It's just this desire to go back to this magical past that didn't really exist. 
And so the U.S., yeah, there's there's definitely elements of this that are stronger there than I see sometimes in other places. I'm glad to hear we're number one. Just kidding. So that actually reminds me of uh, like if we just the band-aid solutions, like if we just do this one thing, if we just do that other thing, like uh, I've been in jobs before where the mindset every week is just like, this is the last bad week, I swear. And then like next weekend, I'm not going to have to work next week. I'm not going to go in early or stay late next week. I just need to work like 60, 70, 80 hours this week. And that means next week and moving forward, I'm going to be chilling. And that has uh, never paid off in all of my years on God's green earth. That has never been actually true. Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Like in the fact that I still tell myself that after being in this industry or being like a working professional for like uh, 15 years now, however long, I still lie to my, I still use that logic, like that line of thinking of like, no, 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 it's just this week and next week will be better. Even though I, I, there's a growing part of me that like knows like, hey, you're lying to yourself. Unless other things change, you can't control this, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that's, uh, you know, we're all doing it. Exactly. I, I mean, I do, I teach this work and I'm so passionate about this work and I have come so far in changing my, my working patterns and my, my cultural patterns and really this deconditioning that we need to do from culture. I think, you know, we can't heal burnout and burnout cycles without that kind of deconditioning from the systems around us. And I still noticed like just last weekend, I was like, you know what? No, like I, there was a public holiday here and I was like, I just need to get this thing done. I just need to finish this work. You know, my, my girlfriend's there. She's like, Hey, we could go out for a walk. And I was like, I felt this like tension and this anger that I was like, ah, I don't want to go for a walk. I want to keep working. I just got to get this thing done. You know, it's not my fault that this like website thing is not like where it should be. And so this is like, it is such a global experience and no matter how much work we do, you know, those thoughts will still likely come up because they're so indoctrinated into us. You know, so the work of getting out of burnout cycles and the work of actually starting to thrive, because I really like to frame this work as well, it's not just about not burning out. It's actually about, you know, we should all be flourishing. We should all be living great lives. We should all be thriving. It's about coming back in those moments that you hear that voice that says, just, just one more hour, you know, just, just this week, you know, it'll be over on Friday. And it's such a common expression, you know, oh, look, you know, it's, I'm just busy this week. It will slow down. It will slow down then. Yeah, we're fine. It's just right now, Yeah, it's, but it's past. It's fine. Exactly. And it's in that moment, making the decision for change. And that's where it starts to happen. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a, it's such a hard place to pull yourself out of. Cause you're like in that mindset, but then if you can get the other little voice that You've got the one little voice that's uh, telling you, no, do more. And then if you can just get the other one in there, like, hey, take a step back. It's okay. Walk away. It's fine. Exactly. And sit with the uncomfortableness of walking away, right? It's not going to feel good at first. It feels wrong. It feels off. And that's because it's going against all of your conditioning and all of your beliefs that say I should be doing this. So we sometimes think that, you know, if I take time from me, it's supposed to like feel really nourishing and really good. And actually, no, it kind of feels uncomfortable at first. It feels like... I, I feel anxious and on edge and like, and actually, no, okay, I'm going to sit with this. I'm going to be with this. I'm choosing to spend my time doing this and to do that. Yeah. So I know we've talked a little bit about the kind of systemic changes that we can advocate uh, to avoid burnout, like the, the paid leave, a better minimum wage, just better social supports that so people could take a step back. What are individual actions that 
uh, you recommend to folks that they can take if they start to notice some burnout symptoms? I want to actually add to that last bit because those are a large systemic problems that sometimes we actually don't have much control over. You know, I can campaign, I can take action for my government to, you know, increase our minimum wage, but ultimately, you know, as an individual, I don't have a huge amount of power there. But there are other areas within our cultures and within our working styles that are contributing to burnout. You know, one, we've kind of talked about this glorification of overwork, that we really need to stop glorifying it and actually really see it for what it is, which is, you know, just the kind of extraction of our labor and for no end. You know, the second is assuming our value as a collective is linked to our results and not our relationship. So again, like, where are we seeing our value? The stories in our cultures, you know, and this is, again, our organizations, our families, our microcultures of scarcity, of lack, of struggle, you know, management can't change, they're too stale, or there's just not enough people to do the work. Those stories are important. They all shape how we're going to experience working together. They shape our imagination and the things that we're going to try, and they're big drivers of burnout. And the last is also assuming that we all have the same emotional resourcing. We don't. We're all coming from different places in life with different tools, different skills, and we're all coming with different emotional experiences and stresses that are happening to us right now. So at a collective level, I think it's really important that we start to look at those issues. As an individual, I think then it's about really coming back to the body, you know, that body is a side of truth, learning how to listen to it, challenging that voice that says we always need to be doing something more. And that challenge means that we set boundaries, that we say no, that we look at what our needs are. What are the things that actually make us feel good? You know, there's nothing wrong with having needs. All of us do, you know. We have this idea that we should sacrifice them in service of something larger than ourselves, but that really doesn't create a more just world to do that. It doesn't create a more regenerative world to do that. You know, if we are burnt out and exhausted, then, you know, we're not exactly experiencing a more beautiful world. And if we're not experiencing it, I think it's difficult to really be creating that experience for others. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And it goes back to your point earlier of like, if you're burnt out and tapped and like, you can't create, a, you're not coming forward as your most authentic creative self. And so if that's not the case, you're not going to be building that world that you want to see. Absolutely. You know, there is a level, you know, it's such a cliche that quote about, you know, be the change that you want to see, but there is an element that you need to actually also embody the work that you want to see. And so for many people, when they're looking to dismantle systems or create new systems, we're still doing it with the same energy and mindset that the thing we want to end is, is about, you know, a lot of us, you know, working for climate action is still doing it with the same hustle culture, the same extraction of our energy, the same extraction of our inner resources as we see happening in the world today. And unless we start to separate those two things and say, you know what, I'm going to show up differently because this extraction on the outside of the earth should not be happening. How am I treating myself in that way? And if I stop that, how can I show up for my causes in a different way? We're kind of just recreating the same problems sometimes. Yeah. And it doesn't help that, especially when it comes to like climate activism, the language, in order to elicit a response, a lot of times the language has to be so powerful and so dire and so catastrophic and immediate. And sometimes it borders on hopeless. That takes such an energy to overcome and to participate and just show up for the work. That is already a huge hurdle that a lot of climate activists have to overcome is just be there 
and then actually execute on what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so there is a story, especially in climate activism, that we need to save the world, you know, and that, that saving the world, like every time we tell this story, we're having thoughts about this, we're having beliefs about this, it is creating a stress response in our body. Because if we're saving the world, there must be a danger, that danger must be right here and now. You know, we have these David versus Goliath stories where we feel really powerless as well. And so all of this is perpetuating this constant stress that we're experiencing. And here's the thing, there are other stories that we can tell to show up for the work that don't create that same stress response in our body. You know, stories of uh, care, stories of regeneration, stories of love, stories of service, stories of hope, all of these actually create energy in our body that why am I doing this work? Because I love the world, because I care about the world. And my love for the world is going to ask that I show up in this space. But when I'm saying, you know what, the world is in crisis, everything's dying. And this is true. You know, we need to acknowledge realities, but also look at why we're doing what we're doing. You know, it's it's going to like get me really amped up. And my body, even when I'm not noticing it, is going to start producing that cortisol. It's going to start producing that stress. And I'm going to end up constantly in these cycles. Yeah. Just looking at things as it's, there's a possibility for hope or possibility for change or for a better future. Like you can still show up to do the same work, but to your point, like you're not, your elbow or your shoulders aren't glued to your ears from the get go. And just, uh, there are things that can be done, but if you're kind of functioning from that hijacked state, you're not going to do them as well. Yes, absolutely. You know, and that's the thing, like you notice is my jaw tight when I'm talking about this, why do I do what I do? And starting to ask that question and to really look at the answer and then to say, well, does that answer what response does that create in my body? You know, what am I noticing? Is it tightness? Is it closeness? Is it heaviness? Or is it lightness? Is it ease? Is it expansion? And then from that place, well, if it's tightness and if it's heaviness, okay, and I still want to show up for this work because this work is important and this work is meaningful to me, how can I reframe why I'm doing what I'm doing and how can I start to create a more regenerative foundation for my work that still allows me to do it, but doesn't cause that same response. Yeah, that's amazing. So is there a future, and this is a loaded question, but is there a future uh, where burnout doesn't exist? Yes, absolutely. I think there is. You know, I, I think it's a really, we, we have these ideas that the world is just the way it is. You know, but our world was shaped by somebody's imagination. Everything that we're experiencing today was once imagined. And the struggle is that, you know, the people whose imagination actually created the world that we live in didn't usually create enough space for, for women, for queer folks, for people of color, you know, for anybody with some sort of uh, non-cis, straight, hetero, white, male. And even then, not for all of them because there's class privileges too, right? Right. So we're living in a world that wasn't really shaped for us. And when we understand that, we can be like, oh, well, how do I want to reimagine the world? And do I think there is a world without burnout? Do I think there is? A, yes, I do. Do I think there's a world without stress? No. Okay, stress is natural. Stress is actually good for us in small doses. Stress keeps us alive. It has many different purposes. Mm-hmm. Do I think there's a world without chronic debilitating stress that leaves us absolutely with nothing left? Yes. But I think we need to really reimagine our systems, reimagine our collective spaces, reimagine our lives and why we do what we do in order to create it. That is such a beautiful way of putting like uh, just internalized capitalism, just one part of it on a plate of just, is there, does this need to exist? No, Uh, no, it doesn't. And it's okay. 
Uh, so as, for you as a person, how has your your journey for a change maker or as a change maker has happened? What have you learned along the way? Like what sort of, if you could go back and talk to you before you started all of this, like what would you impart? Like what words of wisdom would you impart? Ooh, it's such a good question. I think there's a few things. You know, one is that there's more than one way to change the world. You know, I think sometimes when we're thinking of everything the world needs, we're we're thinking of these very, like, okay, we need to take climate action, we need to do this, we need to do this, but we need everybody doing their thing. You know, we need to look at, we need accountants looking at the way they do accounting. We need artists who are creating art. We need farmers who are looking at the way that they farm. So it's not all about taking to the streets and it's not all about building a new business and being an entrepreneur. We need people to reimagine the systems that they're in. So understanding where you are called is is what I would tell myself when I was younger. Where are you actually called to be right now? I think, you know, I would also remind myself that, you know, what we've talked about, you can't help the world when you're burning out yourself, that your burning out is a symptom of this burnt out planet. You know, it's a symptom of a planet that is literally heating up and that if we want to to create something different we also need to look at the experiences that we're having that urgency doesn't always mean that we work harder or faster sometimes it means we work differently or more intentional yeah that's what I could have learned I think at a younger age yeah you don't have to do it all if you just focus on one thing at a time and do it with purpose you might even get farther along without knowing it which is pretty incredible Do you have any advice uh, that you would give to aspiring change makers that you're either looking to work in uh, like just activist areas or that want to get involved in like helping the world not be as burnt out? I think it would be a little bit what I was just saying, but find this separation early on between what is it that I think that I am supposed to do and what is it that actually gives me energy? You know, when we're being called to work in the world, I think there's a few different spaces we can work. We can work at disrupting systems, we can work at building new systems, or we can work at like helping people who are impacted by them. So like understanding this framework and then starting to look at, okay, not only what brings me joy, but also what breaks my heart, you know, what calls me even though it's heavy. And that is the space that you would want to enter. And it might be a very narrow intersection, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It might not be something that people have really seen in the world today, but that's what we need. So find that little space, find that that narrow groove and try to follow it and see where it leads. Oh, that's beautiful. There's a, I will probably get this wrong, but in yoga, there's the three deities where it's the, uh, the creator, the upholder and the destroyer. And uh, leaning into, I never thought about that in terms of like how you approach your life of like, if you are going to disrupt or destroy systems that are currently in place to try to shake things up, like that is an active path. That's definitely not my path. I am very much status quo, not status quo, but like uh, more of the rebuilding versus the destroying. So like thinking about it that way, I just get scared of like, oh no, what's going to come next? I don't have the, uh, I don't want to create that space. I get very scared. But the idea that some folks are uh, just geared towards that and they should listen to that instinct of like tearing systems down, tearing structures down and opening up just the space of what else could come. Yeah. That's fascinating. It is, isn't it? Right. There's so many different ways that we can be part of changing the world. And I'm also called to building. Like I love building new systems. I like looking at the future. How are we going to create something new? And I have a 
deep respect for our need in this time to like shine a light on the systems as they are to like really expose, you know, what are the consequences? What are their flaws? What's not serving us for them? And, and that is disrupting. That is that kind of like, we're going to like halt this where it is. And so there's many different ways that we, that we can work at creating change. And when we start to explore this, I think it opens up new possibilities for us. For sure. Like there's also the, I, I don't think it's as, uh, no, I think it's still just as big of a thing uh, with tech and tech startups. Like they're disrupting an industry because they have seen something that has been the same way for a long time. And granted, they're still in it to likely make money and it's still a capitalist adventure and um, all that sort of stuff. But they've taken the term and run with it. So I think people could lean into it more. Yeah, I think they're a cool kind of middle ground between like disrupting and building in some sense. But like you could also look at the legal profession or journalism as a sense of disrupting. You know, they both can shine a light to, hey, this is unjust. This is what's happening. Frontline activism, like street activism, NVDA, that is a wonderful space of disruption. You know, if we're looking at this like healing and this like actually serving people, you could look at healthcare professions, you could look at healing spaces, you could look at restorative justice spaces. These are all helping people impacted by systems. They're not building new systems, but they are um, really kind of um, aiding people in that space. And then there's, yeah, people who are like, well, let's reimagine the way we do law. Let's reimagine the way we do business. Let's you know, create this new system over here. Um, or going into organizations and NGOs that have worked a certain way for, you know, 100 years. And, hey, what if we change this? That's a buildup. You know, so looking at this, it just gives us so many places to play with. And I love, you know, your example there of bringing it back to that space in yoga that there are these three um, areas of kind of, you know, destroy, uphold, or build. And it's the same philosophy. How are we going to approach that to life? The world just keeps getting like, uh, I don't want to say smaller and smaller, but there are uh, just some very interesting core ideas that come out in whether it's religion or like a, a ancient practice such as yoga or things that the, like that uh, kind of infiltrate in ways that you're like, oh, I didn't know that's how that was going to show up today, but so interesting. So that's wonderful. We have this like narrow idea that the world today is just so different to other times and it is in some ways. But our experience of being human isn't, you know, I, I think our collective capacity for wisdom is very much in some senses the same as it was a few thousand years ago. And so when we're looking at these texts and what they can offer us today, we're looking back to other human experiences who had the same emotions, the same desires, the same fears. And then it kind of makes sense that we can look at the world today and be like, oh, and, and there it is. And that's just how it manifests now. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. How do you balance taking care of yourself versus helping other people with burnout? How do you find that line and kind of hold that boundary? So I think Gloria Steinem has a quote that I love where, you know, burnout is one way of showing you that your activism wasn't very full circle. That's great. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? We're actually understanding that, that, you know, what we do for the self is really about setting the tone for the whole. And it's not about either or. It's not about I, I only look after myself and I don't look after other people. It's not about I only serve the world and I don't look after myself. You know, I think the two are intertwined. And so actually understanding that and being able to read my own compass, being able to read my own guidance of what is it that I need right now. And knowing if I can't offer myself what I need right now, if I can't take the time for that, then, you know, again, I, I can't be creating these experiences for others. 
is the line that I have to draw there. Yeah. Now, sometimes, you know, it's not a strict line. Sometimes you are helping people more than you actually have capacity to give for a short period of time. That happens, particularly when we're in caregiving roles. Or we have somebody sick and unwell. And sometimes we need to take more time for us, when, especially when if we've been burnt out. You're going to need to take extra time at the beginning because that recovery period takes time before you start seeing this as a more uh, give and take and a yin and a yang. But looking at it that I'm not separate, you know, we are not separate and whatever we're doing for ourselves is what we're doing for the world, that my activism is full circle and therefore it includes caring for myself. I think that's the, the foundation for finding that space. Oh, that's lovely. So how can our supporters, uh, not our supporters, how can our listeners uh, support your work? Uh, you can head over to my website, laurahartley.com. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, which is very exciting and it gives lots of tools for change makers to not only explore burnout, but like reimagine the world and to really look at this idea of making change from the inside out. So our mission is about creating the conditions for social healing and collective thriving. You know, and with this in mind, you know, it's really about, well, how do we reimagine our cultures, our societies, our lives? So you'll find lots of tools in there. You can also check us out on Instagram at laura.h.hartley, and I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been just such a, a an inspiring and a recentering and grounding chat all at the same time. I, I just greatly appreciate it. And we'll link to all of those things in the show notes. So it's an easy one click and go for everyone. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. I've loved this episode. I love your show and, you know, it's such an honor to come on here and speak. Thank you to our guest, Laura Hartley and her organization, Public Love Enterprises. Check out the show notes for all of her social links. Any conversation about burning existing systems down and looking at the world in a whole new way brings me so much joy. I also want to say thank you to our editor, Shay Dominguez, and our producing organization, Media Cause, a digital marketing agency specializing in moving missions forward for nonprofits and cause-based organizations. See their impact at mediacause.org. And finally, thank you to our listeners. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop by ifnotus.tv if you have suggestions on guests, episode topics, or anything else you think we should cover. Until next time, remember, change belongs to everyone. Mm-hmm.